Um, this morning, as usual, you guys get to hang out where I'm hanging out. We're in 2 Corinthians, uh, first chapter. Um, and uh, one of the, uh, I won't steal these words, well, I'm stealing these words, they're not mine, but one of the uh, uh, commentators that I read said that uh, one of the many paradoxes of the Christian life is that the grace of God is most keenly experienced, not in the best, but in what, seemed to, what seems to be the worst of times. However uh, much a Christian longs for exaltation, it is often in humiliation that he finds grace. Um, it's, it, it seems to me that um, the way that he put that just kind of struck me as kind of a great summary. And then when, you, when we go through this passage, this introduction, you'll see that really that statement that I think we probably all would agree with, that we all would uh, on the surface say, yeah, that's true, whether we've been through it or not. Uh, Paul actually has got it in writing here for the Corinthians. He actually has got it in writing, that, that summary, that the, the grace of God is most keenly experienced, not in the, uh, the best of times, but what would seem to be the worst of times. Um, and the other thing that struck me, just to be uh, um, absolutely honest, is you know this is one of those truths that I knew, but if you were to walk up and say, okay, where do you get that from? I would have to go searching for it. And it's in a nice, neat little package here, right here in Second um, Corinthians. So uh, I'm going to divide this passage. We're going to do uh, 1 through 11. I'm going to divide it into two halves, and I'm going to start in the back half, and then we'll move forward. So let me read the passage right quick. Um, Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. And here's where we're going to begin our focus in 8 um, for the first half. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and will deliver us. He is whom we have set our hope, on whom we have set our hope, and He will yet deliver us. You also joining in, helping us through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Uh, I wanted to start in uh, verse 8 because Paul first kind of sets out the, the, uh, the thought, but then he immediately backs that up by saying where he's been. Uh, he begins by making sure that he's kind of, uh, that the Corinthians are aware of the affliction that he's had in his life. 
so I wanted to kind of start by kind of reminding ourselves of that. You don't have to turn here, but in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul puts down a list of his physical sufferings. Um, he talks about five times he had stripes, he was whipped 40 minus 1, 40 lashes less 1. Three times he was beaten with rods. Three times he was shipwrecked. Uh, 24 hours he spent in the deep. He was threatened by robbers. He was threatened by his own countrymen, by the Gentiles. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was sleepless. He was cold. He was naked. He also mentions mental suffering in there. He talks about uh, one of the major things he had mentally was a daily deep concern for all churches that he had been associated with and also the brethren. Uh, in Acts 19, 23 uh, through 24, he talks about he was the center... Well, there's a whole section there. Where he was a center of attention for a riot that really occurred in Ephesus uh, having to do with a silversmith. Y'all may remember the story. Demetrius was there and... Uh, Paul's teachings were cutting into his statue making and so there was a riot that erupted. The point he's trying to make here, uh, and Paul kind of sums it up in uh, 2 Corinthians 7 and 5, he says that his affliction was inside and out. He's got all this external stuff and all this internal, internal stuff going on in his life. So he was uh, afflicted internally and externally. In verse 8 he says, I, don't, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, verse 8 of our passage, uh, the, of the affliction that came to us in Asia. So that's kind of a quick summary of everything that he's talking about there. Uh, they were, he was burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even for life. Uh, so how severe was the trouble? He was burdened excessively. So have you ever felt like your burden was too much? that it was excessive. It's kind of progressive here. Uh, felt like your burden was more than you could bear. It was beyond our strength. You kind of see the progression of what he's saying in this verse. First he was excessively burdened. Then it's beyond his strength. Have you even felt like you even despaired for your life? Now when I first read this, I thought about um, um, Paul and how many times his life was being threatened. Right? But when I kind of applied this to me, despairing for my life, uh, I thought about, have you ever been in a position where you thought, what's this all about? Why am I going through this? Why am I here? That's despairing for my life when I think about it. Not that my life necessarily was threatened, but have you ever been in that, that place where you felt it was that bad? Where you were, uh, you, it was excessive, it was beyond your strength? Um, Paul kind of, you kind of see the humanness in Paul here. One of the commentators said, uh, and this really struck me. How comforting to know that even the great saints of God can get to this point in their life where they're excessively beyond their strength, despaired even to the point of death. Um, so where does this drive you when you reach the end of your human rope? Where does this put you? Let's see where it put Paul in 9. Uh, indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we could, would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Just in case you, know, you don't remember who God is, He raises the dead. So there's kind of like the ultimate, He kind of throws that in there. So what is Paul saying here? Is when we're at the end of our human rope, we go to the real rope, we turn to God. And then in 10, uh, Paul goes on to say, after he's reminded of the trouble, he talks through the degree of the trouble. 
and he says that it's his, he falls short, so only God can pull him out. And he, he talks about God pulling him out, that Paul did, uh, God did deliver Paul. In verse 10, uh, But in God who raises the dead, and God who delivered us, notice that, from so great a peril of death, and will deliver us, He on whom we have set our hope, and He will yet deliver us. Do you see the three tenses of the delivery there? He did deliver us, past. He will deliver us, present, and yet will deliver us, future. Do you see the confidence that He has? In in other words, not only has He done it, He is doing it, and He will do it again, yet again. Showing Paul's confidence uh, uh, in, in Christ and God to deliver him. Uh, my note here says, isn't it neat that through all this, Paul is assured as we can be assured. Through all these things, remember the list of things we went through. He's assured that God has worked, God is working, and God will work in our lives. Uh, to me, we're going to talk about comfort in a minute. To me, that kind of sums it up. Because when you lose that, we really start losing hope. Uh, he already showed us that we get focused on our surroundings and our situation, and it's at that point we turn to God. You know, he kind of re- you kind of remove that. So what he's doing here is really kind of he's summarizing what our hope is in. It's in what he has done, what he is doing, and the hope of what is yet to come. Uh, and then in verse eleven, he says, uh, "You also joining." joining in, helping us through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Uh, two things here. Um, notice that Paul says that he joined in helping us through your prayers. So the prayers of the Corinthians helped Paul in his situation. Right? And then he goes on to say that what that is what that benefit that is for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. In other words, God's going to get this ultimate glory for the prayers. We're just a conduit, right? God is actually the mechanism that gets it done. We're just the conduit that the electrical wire runs through, right, to get it done through those prayers. So we all know that we're commanded to pray. And we all know that prayer changes lives. Um, but what's the, act, the, um, the effect of answered prayer in the lives of the believer and the lives of those around the believer? Or the lives of those that the prayer is about? What, what do you see that? When you think about that, you know that a prayer has been answered in the life of somebody. What's the effect of that prayer? Comfort? Okay. Sorry? Faith. Faith? faith. Okay. Faith, comfort, strength. Thanksgiving. Okay. What about those that... Uh, have you ever had this happen when a specific situation was being prayed for? And not necessarily because the answer was the answer we wanted, but there was an answer there. What a testimony we have as the believer to talk about the way a prayer was answered 
to others. Have you thought about that? And who gets the glory in that? Right? Not me because I prayed that Aaron would get better, but that God healed Aaron. That's the testimony there. That ultimately uh, God gets the glory uh, and that God is praised. Thanksgiving there. All right. Flip back up to verse 3 up in the, the top there. And kind of uh, the title of this lesson, as I so deemed it, was comforting and suffering. And this is the part that really stuck out at me was because um, it really talks about a purpose or a couple of purposes of suffering. The one that we just went through, I had really listed as confidence in God alone. Um, But that's not really where I was kind of wanting to camp out, although that's certainly a worthy place to camp out. But um, in verse 3 and then following, it really talks about uh, another purpose of comfort, and that's, I mean, the other purpose of suffering is that we may comfort others. Um, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Um, have you ever thought about that? The God of all comfort? Of the Trinity, who usually gets the tag of the comforter? Right? The Holy Spirit, right? Uh, but he's the God of all comfort. And I, had, I went through and looked at that. One of the commentators made a, um, a note that, that each uh, uh, part of the Trinity, all in Scripture, had been given a comforting function. Here, the God of all comfort. There's places, obviously, the Holy Spirit in, in, in his name. Uh, and then Jesus in several places. Actually, Jesus brought the Holy Spirit, so there was comfort. But it was interesting that in my mind, I always think of the Holy Spirit as the comforter. God will send the comforter, right? Which kind of displaces comfort to this one, but it's all over. Of course, that makes sense, doesn't it? Since the Trinity is one, wouldn't it all be elements of one, even though we kind of assign that particular uh, attribute to just the Holy Spirit? Uh, Comfort, just uh, if you read through these, one through seven, which is kind of where we're at. Comfort is used ten times. So the obvious question is, what's it mean? Now this one caught me off guard. Um, each time it's used here, the same word is used to paraclete, to come alongside the Holy Spirit word. Now just think about that. What, how do we usually define comfort? Uh huh. Okay, fix it. Yeah, fix it. Travis and I were talking about this last night. We think about comfort, and my wife will tell you that I'm the you know if you got a problem, I'll bring it and I'll try to fix it. Right. But that's not what this comfort is. It's not the fix it comfort, although that might bring comfort. This is more like I'm going to come alongside you and just endure whatever it is you're going through. Right. Not necessarily fix it. So what's the difference there? Sure. Yeah, it's not the the synonym that I pulled out of here was sympathy. It's not a sympathy type comfort. It's a um, empathy. 
I'm going to put myself in your place to the point that I'm right beside you with my arm around you and enduring whatever the trial is. It's that type of comfort. Now, if there's a help there, um, but it's one of those things that I think back about where Paul was. He had obviously been pushed to the point where nothing else would do except God being beside him. And he delivered him through the trial, but not necessarily, he did not necessarily remove the trial, right? Ultimately, he didn't necessarily remove the trial. Uh, and then, uh, our God is the God of all comfort. Yes, that comfort, not the sympathy comfort, not the remove my pain comfort, not the just fix it comfort, the comfort that I'm going to be alongside you. Um, and then the uh, back half of four. Well, let me just do all of four. Uh, God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction. We'll start with that. All of our affliction. If He's the God of all comfort and He comforts us in all of our affliction and He delivered us and He will deliver us and He will yet deliver us, isn't that in itself comforting? God of all our afflictions, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. What did I just say? Or what did Paul just say? He comforts us in all of our affliction. Why? So that we would feel better and be able to function in life properly. I'll just see if y'all wait. So that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So how many of you have heard, we are the hands and feet of Jesus? Right? All right. So uh, as the song says, uh, if we are the body, you know, what are we doing here? Are we comforting? And remember the definition of comfort and isn't it really humbling to think that we are to comfort others in the same manner that we are comforted by God? kind of sets me on my heels. That, that word conduit is a dangerous word because it really, you know, you, it's dangerous for me to know these implications in my life that I'm responsible to be the means through which God works. It should be a blessing, but it also is intimidating. Yeah, as we. Yeah. And, if, and, if, and if God doesn't spare us, you now this is kind of a. Well, I guess it's kind of a peripheral question, but I have to ask it now because I started it. Um, <laughs> if we have the power to comfort someone by sparing them a trial, should we do that? I mean, God doesn't spare us. Or is our comfort just the same kind, just empathy and being there? Sometimes we have we have the capacity to spare someone. You're you're going back to the fix it versus not fix it. Right. Yeah, I'm not saying that we should not fix it when we have an opportunity to fix it. We should not help. I think that's part of comfort uh, because the difference in those two roles is God is a little bit more all knowing than we are. So therefore, He's yeah, just a touch. So so He can look at the trial that I'm going through and know whether it's for my good or not. 
the, the closest example that I could give uh, to, to give you a basis there is think of your child. Have you ever made a decision as a parent to let them skin their knuckles? Right? I think that's the closest example. You let them go ahead and you know, skin their knees, skin their knuckles or whatever so that they know not to do that anymore. God can do that on a macro level that I don't think we can comprehend. I can't comprehend that a trial He's given me is going to do me good, you know, some kind of severe trial. But maybe on a micro level I can understand that if I can see how it's okay for Cody to bump his head somewhere, you know, and let him, and me physically let him do it, knowing that it's not going to be completely uh, detrimental to his being, you know, as much as a, a father can let that go. That's as, as close as I can get with that. Fix it. And I didn't, I'm not trying to be anti-fix it. I hope I didn't deliver that. But I, I do think, and maybe it's because of me. I told you all y'all were victims of what I study. So it's me because I'm a fix-it guy. This is saying, look... There are times when you can't fix it, and this is your responsibility. Ultimately, this is your responsibility. If you can fix it, great. But if you can't, you've got a responsibility here. And so that, that's what struck me. And so y'all get pulled into that. Were you done? You, were, you, you made my point. I was just going to add that the, in the early church, they did a lot of fixing. They sold things. They right. Money. But your point, I think, is exactly right there. That if, there are so many times we look around and see that this, this is so beyond fixing. Even right now in our own church life, there are things that are so far beyond fixing. Right. But a lot of times when we don't know how to fix it, we stay paralyzed, we stop. And we don't know what to do next. And this is exactly what to do next, is come alongside and be there during the messy times, be there during the difficult times when there's nothing to say, and there's no way to make it better, and just cry with them, love them, and be there during the Yeah, absolutely. He got it. Great. Did you have the same thing? (laughs) But I I was just going to emphasize John's point is, I I think, a real good one, and that is, and what you're you're saying too is that sometimes we have to make a conscious decision to let the process go and not get in between what God's doing in someone else's life and be their comforter, not Mm -hmm. their fixer. You know, and I know that's what we're all saying, but that's a hard decision to make. Because we don't want to see people in pain. We don't want to see people, especially our children. Yeah. Uh, it's real tough for parents to do that, to just back off and say, I turn you over to God mm. because I can't fix it. But I'm going to have to let God fix it. And I'm going to love you and I'm going to be your comforter, but I'm not going to be your umbrella. You know? yeah, isn't it interesting that when you say that, the first thing that comes to my mind is the last straw, that tough love. I'm, you know, so is it that we should have done some of that sooner in the process? You know, would we be where we are if we would have, you know, not had our back against the wall and we didn't have to lock the door and, you know, have that tough love kind of deal? Uh, verse 5. Uh, I'm glad you all got it down pat before we got to verse 5, by the way. I'm glad you all got it figured out and the lesson's done now, so we'll get to verse 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Uh, What's that sound like? 
but that, that kind of have a familiar ring to it. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Um, just so we don't misunderstand, the sufferings of Christ he's talking about is not atonement for sins. We don't, we can't, don't, and will not be able to help with that, just so you're not missing that. But we are called to suffer as Christ suffered. And these sufferings, interestingly enough, are ours in abundance. An overflowing bushel basket full as Christians. However, and he, you know, he always sets you up and then gives you the comfort is abundant through Christ, just like grace abounds through Christ. Oh no, I was just the, thinking: is there is there some kind of mystical? I hate to use that word mystical, but you know, when we when we um, when we suffer, that Christ suffers with us. You know, even though He's in power and glory. And you mean like right now? Like that. Let me take out. You may take the easy out. Christ doesn't live in our time frame, so I don't have to answer that question. Is that is that the easy out? <laughs> uh, that that's tough. I, you know, I, I thought when you were saying that, did he take on all that suffering at the cross? You know, or was it? You know, that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. I don't disagree that it could happen. I just I'm I'm challenged to prove that it did happen. I guess that would be the. I'm just saying that when he empathizes with it, he feels that suffering as much as we do. You know, and, and uh, well, I think to a degree we somewhat can understand that in that although we can't feel exactly like the person we are comforting, you know, I have been in that situation where I ache. And the reality is it's only for them. It's not, I have no dog in that race, so to speak. You know, there's no, there is no reason for me really to be aching other than the fact that they are hurting so terribly. So I guess, I guess to a degree I could see where that could happen. Because, I mean, we're the bride of Christ. And, I mean, his, he, I mean, I, I would think in a marriage and stuff when the, when the partner's aching, you ache. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Heath's point is when you experience a trial when you walk out the door in just a minute, it, does Christ feel your pain as you walk out the door and experience that trial, whatever? You see what I'm getting at? That's a, yeah. Is that, that kind of what you're saying at, at this point in time as we understand it? Rod, did we trounce on your question or your statement? No. You withdraw your hand? It got more complicated as I thought about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just think it's important that we recognize that to whatever degree that takes place, we don't want to go so far as to say that he experiences it the same way we experience yeah. it. There are a lot of times we don't see the end. We don't, we don't know what the point is. We don't know why the process is here. And that, that Christ does see where we're headed. And as yeah. much as we may be suffering, and as much as he may sympathize with us and care for us, he's not overwhelmed by it the way we are. He sees the greater good. Yeah. yeah. I know you're going to fall down and skin your knee, and even though 
those two analogies are bad because it may be a terrible trial. He sees this and, you know, he looks at it just like we look at a skint knee. You know, it's gonna, it's all for the better. It's gonna be good. I, I see you standing robed in glory before me. And this is one of the things that's gonna get you there. So. Yeah. Makes things worse. Yeah. And a parent that sees it and cares about it and loves the child but maintains separateness, maintains control, actually helps things through. Right. That was just, I mean, we want to support you. Yeah. But we're part of what needs to be. Um, so we know that our sufferings uh, are abundant. We know that the comfort will also be abundant. Uh, and I, oh, I didn't touch this in the end of four, uh, that we're supposed to uh, comfort those with the comfort which ourselves. Do you find it interesting uh, at this season of our church's life that the point here is we as Christians ought to be willing to bear trials as it brings spiritual good on not only to us personally, but to those that we share God's comfort with? Being refined just a little bit. Another little blurb that I stole from a commentator. God prepares us for what He is preparing us for. I just got to soak in because I had to read it like three times before I got it. He prepares us for what's coming, if I simplify it. Right? He's preparing us. And that preparation could be these abundant sufferings. same drum about truths and tension, but this is just screaming to me that the, the God of all sovereignty and providence is the one who's bringing these trials and afflictions in our lives, and yet he's bringing all comfort with it. You, you see what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. there's a huge dialectic here to me that why didn't he just leave the affliction out and then he wouldn't have to bottle all that comfort That's part? Right. <laughs> you know, if we didn't have the affliction, we wouldn't need his comfort. Right. And that in itself is a good point. Exactly. Yeah. That, 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 so we get back to seeing the end of our human rope as Paul was when we were outlining where Paul was at. He, suffering and you know that that's the ultimate goal you know that, that that's what God is doing in your in your life is mm-hmm. trying to do that Travis <laughs> you're trying to wind me up early is that <laughs> well, you, well just a comment on what you sure. said earlier too um, about you know walking out the door Jesus feeling the same way I don't, you know, I don't know if it's passive loves you more than your spouse, your child, you know. But yeah, it, it may not be like what I was saying. There is control. He's mm-hmm. obviously sovereign. He knows the end. But he's going to know how to handle it. Yeah. Because the pain and hurt, as long as we are comfort, is there. Yeah. And it never leaves. You know, and I know, and I'm not saying that's scripture, but I know that that's 
sovereignty of God, who he is, his, his character, reveals itself. Yeah. You know, that, that helps me because if I know that, you know, it's almost like you're, you're on the borderline saying, well, Christ, you never had to suffer this. You see what I'm saying? And that's not true because yeah. he suffered the ultimate suffering. Sure. For righteousness' sake. But he suffered for righteousness' sake, which covers all of us. And like, you know, what God went through and revealed what the suffering he saw. He understood this passage very well. Yeah. Yeah. But the, yeah. as far as the physical, the amount of suffering he would go through physically mm-hmm. through the disease. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's um I thought about this too, when we're talking about suffering. I thought about the mathematics of this mercy. So we've got sufferings that are abundant and we have comfort that's abundant. All right, so you think, okay, that's exponential. So you've always got more comfort than you have sufferings, right? Now think about this. We just read a line that said, we are to comfort others as God has comfort, comforted us. So we have the sufferings and our comfort. Now you're going to go up another notch because every place that we're comforted, if we're comforting others, it's exponentially. You see how that, it's just, it's amazing to me that God's mercy just, can explode in our lives like that. So not only did He provide the mercy to comfort us, He's also got the mercy for the other person that we're having a we're part of the conduit to provide them comfort. Do y'all see that exponential effect of of God's comfort there? All right, in uh, six, uh, Paul sees his afflictions as an ultimate comfort to others. Uh, but if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we're comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Um, isn't it interesting that he says the comfort is there for enduring? Kind of goes back to that fix it, not fix it. He doesn't say, I'm going to comfort you and make you better. We're going to comf- you're going to be comforted so that you can endure the sufferings just puts it on the table and then he finishes up in seven and our hope for you is firmly grounded knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings so also you are sharers of our comfort so not only will the sufferings abound the comfort will abound and we're all in it together we share it we're all in it together yes ma'am
Yeah, I've, I've shared with our Home Bible Fellowship group that um, I've uh, figuratively kicked Weathers in the shin a time or two because he's in a place where he can pray for that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'll tease him and say, you know, pray that for you. Don't pray that for, you know, the church. You know, that's... And, you know, it's kind of... It's, it, it is odd. We, it's, I'm of that mindset where what uh, Susan's dad prays for... Well, what are you talking about? What are you praying for suffering for? You've lost your mind. You know... Of course, on the other hand, as we talked about in the whole Bible Fellowship, God can give us that suffering anyway. As you just pointed out, it's coming. So it's just a matter of what it is. Uh, so why not look upon it as with joy uh, to get into Romans is it 5? I think it's 5 where it's produces, tribulation produces character and hope, faith, those things. Um, I kind of wanted to sum, summarize with this, um, even though it's difficult to... Um, live looks good on paper. Wish y'all could see it. It says, uh, in summary, that we should desire to endure trials as it first strengthens us and grows us spiritually. It then helps us be a blessing to others, provide them comfort. But most importantly, it is an example of God's glory that can be shared with others. tough for me to think of a trial and a tribulation as ultimately something that, that is for God's glory. Why? Because I got that personal pronoun involved. Me. I. Why, why do I have to put up with this? Let Aaron have that one. I'll come alongside him and comfort him while he's enduring that trial. You know, I'll be real good to help him out. Uh, we, we do... Um, I do think it is a difficult thing in our American culture because we do work so hard day in and day out for the comforting things, you know. Uh, little things. Yeah. Indoor plumbing. You know, we take that. I mean, it's, it ain't that way all over the world, is it, Rod? They, some people have electrical sockets that heat the water when it runs through spouts, you know. It's, you know, it's just crazy stuff. So I, I do think it's, it's difficult for us to grasp this. But, but I guess for me, and I hope for y'all... If there's this much of Scripture, and obviously there's more than just this, but I mean it's right here in a nice, neat little package in 11 verses. If there's that much of Scripture devoted to it, and the reality is there's more throughout 2 Corinthians. If you just keep reading, there's more in there. Yeah. Cast down but not destroyed and despised but not forsaken. But then the last verse is this that we are always bearing the body, the death of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Christ might be manifested in our mortal flesh. So that death works in us but life in you. And that death, as we suffer, we're dying. Like the grain of wheat is dying. But then as we're suffering and as we're dying, death is working in us. So the life of Christ is manifest. So when the life of Christ is manifest in our suffering, he is attractive yeah. to a lost world. Therefore, life is working in them. Yeah. 
somebody commuting of the suffering that death is working in us that the life of Christ would be necessary. Well, and it really relates very well to our Home Bible Fellowship study. Uh, I, I do think it really kind of comes down to this. What's more important? What do we value most? What is our treasure? Health, well-being, all of that stuff, or is it the glory of God? You know, I'm not saying that uh, that you give all your goods and you go be a bum or a monk or, you know, I'm not saying that, but is that your mentality? Or would you be like the rich young ruler and say, can't do that? Where, where do we land? I do think that we, uh, me, that I often treasure other things and I just don't, you know, I kind of let it slide. I know what this says, but do I really live it? You know, the easy road is to say, if Aaron has a problem, I'll go comfort him. The hard road is to say, Lord, let me be prepared to comfort him by letting me have my trial ahead of time so that I can be a comfort to Aaron. That's a little bit different than I'll go along and comfort him. I was going to say, yeah, you know, one of the things I've noticed just this time actually reading through this, it probably should have been obvious, but is the fact that um, one principle I'm seeing here through the whole thing is the fact that, you know, is that you, whether you're, go, whether you're going through a trial or somebody else is going through that, that they're not alone. Now, that's what Jesus told the disciples. I'm going to leave you orphans. I'm going to bring the comforter who's going to be with you, that you're not alone. Because even the people who want to, whose thinking is, you know, God's supposed to fix it all the time, when it gets to the point where it's pretty obvious that he's not going to fix it and they're laying on their deathbed, the one thing they want is they don't want to be alone. Please don't leave them, you know, don't, don't leave me alone when they know that this suffering they're going through, this sickness or whatever, is they're about to, they're about to go, you know, meet the Lord. And, you know, and I just think about, of course, the ultimate is I think about hell. You'll be alone. Mm-hmm. In darkness, forever, suffering. Without Christ. With no comfort yeah. whatsoever, with no being alone. And so the one thing I see here is you're not going to be, you know, you're not, it's not going to take it away. You're not necessarily going to fix it. But the point is you're not alone because God's with you and you, he doesn't want you to be, he, like you said, he wants me and you to be the ones who comfort others as we're comforted. They're, not, they're never alone. We're, you know, like you said, that word meaning we're right there. Beside oh, alongside. Come alongside. They don't, they don't have to be and I, I think that's one. Of, that's probably one of the worst sufferings have to ever go through. No matter what you're going through, is if you feel like nobody cares, no, you're alone. You got to go through it all by yourself because it's just a, like you said, it's a matter of time. Right. But if you know that people are there, even unbelievers understand that. If I can have somebody with me, you know, going through this, it makes it a lot better than I'm by myself. Absolutely. It's 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 become apparent to me that. In all of our responses, what we're really talking about is relationship. And evangelicals for the longest time have said, you know, salvation in Christ is having a personal relationship with him. And Paul would say, yeah, that's right. And you know you have a relationship with him when you're suffering. Not when... Everything's great. Everything's great. And be careful. There's a bunch of people on TV that's not going to agree with you there. Oh, I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I always say, and honestly, I have those people in the back of my head. Those yeah. Uh, <laughs> those people. Those separated those, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have them in the back of my head because, um, yeah, they're going to say just the opposite. But, um, yeah, there's some kind of paradox there that I'm a little ill at ease with. Yeah. 
being in relation to Christ is walking his path of suffering. Yeah, and it's just so that I don't, y'all don't leave with a, it's completely downer. It doesn't mean that everything we do all the time is going to be miserable. That's not what I'm delivering here. But what I'm saying is, or what Paul's saying is, don't get surprised because you have suffering. It's just the opposite. Become a Christian and everything will get better. That's not what. That's not the message he's delivering. But it is the message that you can hear if you pay attention in the world around you. But that's not the message that's being delivered here. And I think, I think that the, as much as I criticize TV preachers, they're giving us what we're asking for. Because it we, pays the bills. We, yeah. <laughs> we, we want a theology that is all about God making it better. We want a theology yeah. that where God is always rescuing us, where God's always prospering. I mean, turn on TV and count how many times they use the word prosper or bless or success. Or, but what about, like if someone taught this text yeah. from TV, they, they would focus in on the comfort. And so obviously God who is focused in on your comfort is also focused in on removing that affliction. Not coming along just the opposite of yeah. what you just taught. See? Yeah. But we're getting what we're asking for. It's an Americanized view of what the gospel is. Yeah. You know, Aaron, see what you're saying though, you're saying yeah, they, they say they're gonna make it all better. It, it, that might not be a wrong statement, but they're what better? Yeah. Define better. Define, yeah. Define what? You yeah. know, because if they define it right, then I'm good with them. But as soon as, but their definition is not. Yeah. Doesn't hold water. Yeah, but mine doesn't either. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we don't have it all right either, do we? But what I'm trying to say is, I'm not blaming them. I'm blaming us. This is what we want. Yeah. You know, they're sure. giving us. They're 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 peddlers. Of the but what's happened is we we're the market, yeah. and we've driven the market so that we get to hear what we want to hear because if you give us what we want to hear. Uh, the advertisers will pay more money or we'll send more money to the people that are there. It, it's a sales game. As bad as that sounds, that's what keeps the light on at, you name it, ministry. It's not right, but it's what works. And it has to be spiritual when they're crying. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, I got two. Things. All right, we got a limit. You can only have one. That's all you get. We have, we have a one thing limit. That's all we get. Yeah. Psalm 23, you know, where we know that, that famous psalm, but uh, that psalm, but he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Because he yet will deliver us. Yeah, that's our hope. Two things I wanted you to walk away from here, and I put this lesson backwards, so to speak, for this very reason. The back half, 8 through 11, I think it was, is... Our ultimate confidence is in God alone. I didn't want to start off with, go comfort your neighbor. Because our ultimate confidence is in God alone. It's, it's because of Him that we can be a conduit to go comfort our neighbor. So our ultimate confidence in God alone, that we might comfort others because of our affliction. Not because of their affliction, but because of our affliction. We have that opportunity. That, so you know, that's the two takeaways. I, 
I, I, I try to get, when I'm studying, I try to get, okay, that's great. I'm glad that Paul had all those thoughts. What's that mean for Carlton? And so that's kind of the takeaways that I want you all to have as application for you as you read this. There's more there. I'm not saying that's all that's there. I'm just saying that's the two that the lesson was centered around. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word and uh, what it means to me, what it means to us. Uh, As always, you learn more when you're trying to teach than you do when you sit and learn. And I thank you for that opportunity. Uh, I ask that uh, you continue to convict.